Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello, and welcome to the New Books in Popular Music podcast. Today I speak with Alex Ogg, the author of Dead Kennedys, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables, The Early Years. Our conversation explores the significance of the Dead Kennedys on the punk scene and the importance of their first album. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Alex, and uh, how you got interested in punk music. Okay, I, my, my background is the... Hello, and welcome to the New Books in Popular Music podcast. Today, I speak with Alex Ogg, the author of Dead Kennedys, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables, The Early Years. Our conversation explores the significance of the Dead Kennedys on the punk scene and the importance of their first album. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Alex, and uh, how you got interested in punk music. My my background is that I grew up in a small working class town in the the north of England, and um, I was somebody who went to school but never believed in it, and um, essentially uh, punk and and the communication and the openness of it um, presented me with with kind of an escape route. Um, And it was escapism to a certain extent, but I was um, somebody who didn't really quite fit in um, with the culture around me. So um, when I was a teenager and adolescent, um, I started trading tapes and fanzines. Eventually I wrote my own fanzine because I was instantly attracted to punk music because because of things which which symbolically are important, but but actually uh, perhaps, um, you know, people, you know, I like uh, punk music because they swore and they they did things that that wound people up and and I was attracted to that. So um, I created my own little world as as a young man and uh, what I did was trade tapes and get interested in all that kind of thing and... I ended up corresponding with people all around the world about punk music, and I became kind of, yeah, sort of, you know, a self-deluding missionary in, um, in the cause of punk. And so I was listening to bands from Italy and Germany, and I, you know, it, it was great because, you know, way, way, way before the world of Warcraft, there was this kind of network thing that if you paid for stamps and international postage you could trade things and you could you, you could hear about stories from all over the world so my connection to punk rock essentially began with that kind of the you know the community aspect of it which was that it didn't matter what you looked like or whether you were popular at school you could just dive into that and and, and create stuff and i think i always had a, a, an instinct to to try and do things and um, and you know that that international punk community, the late seventies, early eighties, allowed me to do that. You know, I could, I, you know, I could just sit in my bedroom and um, I could uh, swap cassettes. I could speak to people in different countries, and that that was very emboldening. It was very enlightening, and it 
know, that was my kind of education, really, um, outside of conventional education. Well, um, for those people who might, might not be familiar, um, mm-hmm. who, who were the Dead Kennedys, and um, why were they so important for the punk scene uh, in that late 70s, early 80s period? Um, I think that's a good question, because the if you track the development of UK punk, I mean, if we go a little bit beyond about, I like that band because they swear on TV and my parents are upset about them, that's that's a really obvious entry point. But, you know, where where do you go with that? I mean, um, the, the British bands all signed to major labels and genuinely created some of the some of the greatest music um and and i love all that i love my stranglers i love my undertones i love my buzzcocks i love well i have a love-hate relationship with the clash but um but beyond that um what what was attractive to me was the kind of the, the later generation where you could become involved and you could actually it wasn't passive it wasn't consumerist it wasn't you weren't just a spectator it allowed you the option uh, of actually doing something and that came with the anarcho bands in the uk but in the, at the same time i was very aware that you know things were brewing in america and you know we had the cbg's generation but that really didn't speak to me. But what what did really connect to me was um, the, the the kind of American hardcore explosion, as it's become known. But 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 very particularly for me, you know, a band called Dead Kennedys, who wrote these um, who wrote songs that were just just you know sort of they were perfect. They were perfect snapshots. Uh, snap, sorry, snapshots of of kind of they embodied teenage rebellion, but they were smarter. They were they they had that kind of yeah you know it was it was almost like um, you know the, the Brando thing you know what you're rebelling against what you've got but 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 no they were just way smarter they the you know the lyrics were so sussed. They they genuinely, uh, to use probably an over-repeated phrase, they they genuinely spoke to me. Those lyrics. Well, one one thing that that is interesting is is most of the the punk scholarship that I read really yeah. emphasizes New York, L.A., London. Um, but in your book, you talk a bit about the San Francisco uh, scene. Um, yeah. What was going on there, and, and how did the Dead Kennedys relate to that scene? Well, I mean, what I would say is that um, in terms of that, I, d- I didn't grow up in America. So it's kind of weird because I, I do have this impassioned viewpoint that um, this album is really important. Um, this album connected with people all over the world. And yet, why has it taken, you know, somebody who grew up in the north of England who really doesn't know San Francisco? who really doesn't know um, what that environment is like. Why did it, it become so important? And I think, you know, the, my, my weakest point as a writer is that I am relying on the evidence of others. I wasn't there. I didn't grow up around crime, the Avengers, the nuns. I don't understand, as well as some people do, that scene and how important it was. 
dead Kennedys were very interesting because they relied on support from the UK in order to further their mission. You know, it, it took a UK label to support dead Kennedys to actually give some kind of recognition to what was happening in San Francisco because, of course, America was dominated by major labels um, in the late 70s in the UK. Um, the independent revolution and rough trade and beggar's banquet and everybody else. You know, we, we something genuinely beautiful that had been created in the UK, which really supported independent artists. And that wasn't there in America. And, and the Dead Kennedys, and I think the band are quite generous in admitting this, required the support of the UK, bizarrely, to actually substantiate themselves. And the the progression of UK punk at that point was that that some people had you know begun to mm, possibly go down some blind alleys uh, as far as I was concerned. Um, but you had this amazing American scene which was just not documented. And I think Biafra in particular is very honest about saying that we weren't even necessarily the best band. Um, but we were the ones that were able to get that international exposure when America was just looking away from its homegrown talent. Um, well, who were the members of the Dead Kennedys and what were their roles in the band? Um, well, um, to give him his full credit, uh, Ray, the guitarist, and Klaus, the bass player, set up the band advertised for a singer and they ended up with um, Jello advertising for that post and drummer who used the pseudonym Ted um, so it was the band was um, created effectively by uh, Ray who was a, uh, who had been around I mean they, they were unlike kind of punk folklore which is that you have no talent you get up you play a few chords you might not even be able to play a G but it doesn't matter the idea is is more important than the ability to express an idea they were actually quite seasoned musicians and they were very very talented musicians and but they I, you know, they, they were aware of what was going on, so they they placed an advert. <clears throat> Sorry, big time, that's probably going to sound... But they placed an advert, and, and Biafra came along and fitted into that. And the the complete, to me, you know, it goes very much to the heart of why is that such a good album, why is, why is it such an important album. It is the combination, of, genuinely, of time served experienced and extremely inventive musicians with a great lyricist and a performer. And I think that's the combination that is maybe uncomfortable. You know, it wasn't the scratch band. It wasn't, we're four teenagers, let's make a noise and let's create something beautiful. Um, it was the combination of craft, expertise and insouciant genius. One one of the things that uh, I enjoy because you you talk about it a bit in, in the book, and then um, 
and then I actually went to YouTube to to look at some of this. What was a show, an early Dead Kennedy show like? And I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't tell if you had gotten a chance to see them on, no. on one of those early tours. No, I, I didn't. I, I was too young, and um, the first show I saw was uh, The Undertones um, in about nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty, um, and I'm I was too young to to actually go to shows. Um, so when the album came out in 79, I would have been 13, and uh, th- there was no way that I would have got to one of those shows. Um, but I don't think, hopefully, that illegitimizes uh, my regard for the work. And... I think, you know, there is a lot, um, a lot of people talk about, you know, authenticity, about um, are you really able to comment properly? Well, you know, and and my answer to that would be was I really wish somebody had written a book about this band, about this album before, and I would have um, been a consumer of that and I would have supported that. But because of the bizarre mechanics of what's happened since... You know, I it, it kind of I felt responsible for trying to write um, a book that that actually redressed the balance um, because you know Dead Kennedys have really you know sort of killed themselves you know sort of through the acrimony and everything else but but I do think that as a piece of art as um, as a cultural item, that that album um, is hugely, hugely influential, and um, I, I would like to play a part in it without being partisan to the warring parties. I would like to be, because for those people who don't know, obviously it's got quite gritty the uh, the exchanges between but I you know I, I just wanted to say that this is a really important album that you know we have a hundred books about the Sex Pistols a hundred books about the Clash I think Dead Kennedy's first album is just as important if for me it's more important um, and I I wanted to represent the album um, well I, I just wanted to um Get away from all the sort of the the infighting and say this this is a hugely you know important piece of work and it needs to be recognised as such. Well, one thing that the book I think does really, really, really well is it 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 tries to capture what um, the the different members of the band how they remember the sessions, and so it seemed like it took you quite a bit of time to get them to tell you their version of events. And so can you maybe walk us through a little bit about how you went about doing the research for the book and um, getting the different members of the band to sort of open up to you to tell you their their side? I mean, the the basis of the book is that um, I um, was asked if I wanted to do sleeve notes for the 25th anniversary reissue of the album and of course I said yes of all albums of all albums and I've written many many sleeve notes 
um, that's what I did for you know quite a large portion of my life, and because I love music, and I'm you know, um, I, you know, I, I enjoy writing about music that influenced me. That, that I was like, well, if I can get to write about that 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 album because it meant so much to me. Then yeah, I'm all in. But because it was problematic, I did have a relationship with Biafra before this stage of affairs and I'd always got on with him really well um, but I knew there were real problems behind the scenes but I you know the, the deal was I, I said to each party involved in writing the sleeve notes you know everybody gets to see what's going on I'm not doing anything underhand everybody has equal say and so we, we began by doing these interviews and the band were really open I mean I think you know, I really enjoyed, for example, you know, the stuff that um, Klaus told me about his background, playing with some incredible musicians. I really enjoyed, in the early stages, interviewing Ray and him talking really passionately about his personal politics and, and what he believed in. And um, it was just a shame because I was trying to be the most diplomatic person on earth that I could be to try and bring it all together. But eventually it all it all went wrong. And the reason it went wrong is because one member of the group objected to what another member of the group had said and then it became kind of like uh, an attritional process rather than a creative process. And that was really sad to me because I was desperately... Um, desperately keen to to represent everybody's views, and I genuinely did it in an, in a very um, accountable manner. I even at one stage sent word counts of, "This is what you said. These are how many words are in the final version. This is what you said. These are how many words." You know, so that everybody was fairly and equitably dealt with, and. And unfortunately, he, you know, sort of even that approach didn't quite work because it all kicked off. Without going into that, you know, it's like I spent about a month doing it and then transcribing thousands and thousands of words. And um, so I was left with this hulk of material about the album. And in the end, those were not used for the sleeve notes. They just pushed it out without sleeve notes. And um, it... I'm, I'm trying to think of the exact process, but um, I had such good sleep, you know, such good background on the album. It's like, what do I do with this? And, you know, people said, well, do a book, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I was very wary because, you know, they're, they're, it's a very litigious situation. And, but ultimately, I've done the work. I've done all those interviews. I had all this great material. So I thought, well, that's... Because you know my main thing is is is, a, is writing standalone books, so you know this deserves a book. Let's put it into a book. Um, now the situation is that that um, with Biafra in particular, I was very wary if if he didn't, you know, if if he disapproved of me doing that because. The difference between Biafra and and Klaus and Ray boils down to the fact that Biafra has always been completely open and honest with me. We've had some 
big disagreements about certain points, but I've always felt I could work with him. And um, whereas it's, it's slightly more difficult with the other members, you know, particularly Ray. But I wasn't going to do anything with it if Biafra completely said he didn't want to. And um, But as it's worked out, he was okay with that. And he does not, he does not, and this is really important to say, he does not um, support every word I say in the book. It is my take on it, but he doesn't dispute my right to try and tell it how I see it. Um, the other members of the band I, ha- I haven't spoken to since, and that's a shame, but, you know, sort of, I, I did do my best to try and um, incorporate their views, honestly. Well, as someone who who just loved their music growing up and really connected to it, how... What's it been like to do this research, get to know these these men, and see the the tremendous conflict that they still have? I mean, how is that? Has it changed your view of the music in them, or how how have you perceived that? Um, I think it's interesting. You know, I mean, um, because I cannot get away, I cannot escape. Um, so that's kind of pseudo-dramatic, but I love that album. You know, um, I know all the words by heart. I probably know all the chord changes almost. And I still love that album. It did taint things slightly, the way certain members of that band behaved. Um, it was... Um, it was difficult. But I still think that um, it is a really... Um, unique album. I, you know, I still listen to it every week. Probably, you know, sort of those those songs stay with me, and uh, they're very important to me. And it was a very difficult situation um, uh, in terms of being a journalist or, or somebody who is entrusted with giving a full and fair account a very very difficult situation um, and I did my best I'm not saying that somebody else could not have done a better job because they probably could have done but it it was very very hard it was a, a torturous book to write but at, at the end of the day I still think that um, we need to balance some of the critical judgments on the era and the fact that, you know, people are writing book after book after book about uh, things that maybe don't matter as much as the album. The album is is enormously important. It's enormously important to a lot of people um, and it's enormously important to me. So I did the best I could to try and... Um, salvage its, its reputation which has been so damaged by how ex-members have, uh, have kind of behaved but it's it's the funniest, wittiest musically sharpest album that I know um, One of the real treasures of the book is you have just a ton of art associated with Dead Kennedys and I was, yeah. I was uh, interested to learn more about how you, how much of that you had to track down how much of that you had um, and what were some of the stuff that you really liked 
uh, being able to publish in this book? <clears throat> I beg your pardon. Um, basically, the, the artwork, um, what we did was um, because to get away from the, the, the kind of traditional publishing thing, um, it was like, let's try and do this more fairly. And intrinsic to the Dead Kennedys is the artwork of Winston Smith, who uh, I can um, I can say absolutely is one of the most, he's a really warm and kind, and as well as, you know, very talented human being. And uh, Winston was very generous, so uh, whatever whatever happens with the book, he gets whatever it sells or whatever he's uh, will get part of the proceeds. We also Ruby Ruby Ray, the San Francisco photographer, because wonderfully she had photographs of the very first show that the band ever played at the Fab Lab, and um, she very you know when we contacted her, she was very generous. Um, she has been very you know she offered to put me up if I ever came to San Francisco as has Winston. So they they were just nice people to talk to because. They were there at the start. I wasn't. I'm an English writer talking about an American band. But they were, you know, they they know where they come from. They they um, are grateful to be involved. They're, you know, the, the, and I wanted, you know, we, we, we sort of worked out a deal so that we, we, you know, we share the proceeds of the book because it wouldn't be the book it is. I'm not saying it is anything, but but you know we've got Ruby's photographs of the very first Dead Kennedys gig in there, and we've got Winston's artwork, and you know in particular, you know Winston's artwork is very subversive. It, I can see absolutely why he connected with Biafra immediately, because um, he, I think that they have a shared sense of purpose about. Um, being whilst being distraught at the way that America functions on the global stage, actually appreciating the comedy of it as well, and you know I love that about them both. You know that you know that that satirical instinct, that satirical flair that they both have, you can see absolutely why you know that that, that they bond and. So it wouldn't have been a Dead Kennedys book without Winston Smith artwork. And it's really funny as, as well because um, we've got different versions of the book uh, in different parts of the world. And that DK symbol has been used in, in, in one country. And it's a very powerful symbol. Um, you know, and, and that was just uh, Winston playing about and... We were trying to get the. We were actually trying to get the original, all the original um, attempts at, at creating the DK symbol, apart from the one that we actually all recognise nowadays. And um, he couldn't quite find them. <laughs> so we. It, it's one of those things. I mean, people think that you know that a, a book is that it tends to be the highest artistic endeavour, and and quite often it's quite it's it's about scratching around and trying to um, get what you can. I mean, and we also had, you know, sort of Winston's projected cover for this book, which got turned down, but, you know, it's a wonderful piece of work, but it's probably not a book cover. So we went through all these kind of processes, which, which, which I find quite life affirming, you know, and, and Winston's such a generous soul and just, 
a very kind and and good soul and you know he was very up for for contributing so yeah i mean you know i'm very comfortable well that's, that's uh, i'm very very happy that winston came on board and provided pretty much a lot of the artwork along with ruby's brilliant photos yeah um what what do you how do you see uh the dead kennedys and uh this album in particular how has that influenced um later generations of of punk bands and, and punk fans um i think it's it, dead kennedys overall i mean the most influential lyrics to me from dead kennedys didn't come from this album um you know, it was, it was Life Sentence, which is a B-side from a later single. Um, but I think what influenced me massively was that... The lesson that this album taught me was that you cannot necessarily overcome totalitarian powers. But what you can do is strive to oppose them and have a really good laugh while you do it. Um, because, you know, I mean, if you look, if you think about that, you know, the, there are very heavy political messages in that album. But then you've got, you know, stealing people's mail, let's lynch the landlord, you know, viva las... Do you understand? It's like, it's that, you know, I'm, I may be condemned to capitalist servitude, for the rest of my life, they might exert that power on me, but they're not going to take away my sense of humour. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's the wit that is truly attractive to me. And I would say, before we go on, you know, and on about Biafra's lyrics, which are great, it's also the musical wit. You know, they're just, there's a playfulness about it, and it's just, um, it's still quite magical to me that, you know, we 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 may not win, but you, you're not going to stop us having fun. You know, it's that kind of idea. Well, thank you so much for taking uh, time today to, to speak with me. But before we go, are there any projects you're currently working on? Yeah, I mean, sort of like, I, I, you know, it'd be, it'd be nice if people thought that I was an uh, immensely success, you know, successful author, um, panning away um, loads of offers from from Hollywood. This is not the case. Uh, I actually teach English, and uh, um, I've, you know, after a few sort of publishing wars, you know, um, I, I quite like thinking that. I'm doing something that's reasonably ethical, and um, yeah, I do I do love teaching English, so I do that. But I I try and um, do my journalism and authorship at the side. So uh, I'm working with um, Billy Childish at the moment, um, and it's it's very funny because in the office today, and um, somebody said to me, "Oh, do you know any famous people?" I was going, well, I do, but, you know, I've actually met all the people I really like, you know, especially from the punk years. And, you know, 
I don't really want to be like a listers or whatever, but but that sounds like I'm being, dim- <laughs> you know, I'm sure you sort of like, but somebody like Billy, um, who incidentally is just adored by by Afri, you know, sort of somebody who stands apart, somebody who does what they're gonna do despite everything that's thrown at them. Those are the people that really inspire me and interest me. So hopefully I'll be doing something um, with Billy and um, I will just, you know, I've got a family, so I have to have a salary. You know, I'm, I'm trying to preserve all that. But but hopefully, you know, I continue to get to work with people who personally inspired me. And I think um, that's that's not bad. I'm OK with that. Well, good. Well, thank you very much, Jay. This has been a great interview. Yeah, and thank you very much for your interest. Thank you for listening to the New Books and Popular Music podcast. Today I've been talking with Alex Ogg, the author of Dead Kennedys, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables, The Early Years. This is your host, Richard Schur. Thank you for listening.